Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Dougway Murray, Stathan Baird, and we are wrapping up the ultimate Ohio State draft. It is over. We're not drafting anymore. But we're talking about it, Nathan, and we are talking about the contributions that our tech subscribers made. I asked them, it was some of the most homeworky homework I've ever asked the tech subscribers to do, which was try to rank all these draft prospects in some kind of order. So I sent them two separate lists, Nathan, of 20 names that I based off our own draft. So initially, I sent them the top 20 names from our draft, and you guys have listened to that. Hopefully, this podcast maybe won't make sense if you don't listen to the previous two, where Nathan, Steven, and I drafted the top 16 all-time Ohio State first-round draft picks, and then the next 16. We drafted 32 guys of the 91st-round picks in Ohio State history. I sent the top 20 that we did, Nathan, to the texters. I had them rank them. I took the top eight out. And then I sent them the 12 remaining names and eight new names again and had them do it a second time. And I got their top 16. And then people said, please stop. Why <laughs> are you doing this to us? People were just, and I knew it at the time and there was an impossible way to do it, but I do appreciate texts like this, Nathan. This survey, I hate you. I started <laughs> off, Buckeye Talk, I hate you. I started off just randomly sliding names around because it was too much to do. But then I got interested and spent 40 minutes studying the players with whom I was not familiar. I loved the task, but I don't think I would spend this much time on another one. That's Kurt Norman on Charleston, South Carolina. And I both love that and apologize to you, Kurt. So that's what we want to do here. We want to talk about some of the differences, reflect on our own draft, Nathan. But we're also going to predict. And let's actually start with the predict. Ohio State right now leads college football with the most first-round draft picks ever. They have 90. This feels like a thing, Nathan, where you are in the supermarket, if people still go to the supermarket, and they say, the thousandth customer will win a shopping spree. Somebody is going to be the 100th first-round pick in Ohio State history. And we, Nathan, are going to try to figure out when that will be and who it will be but how big a deal do you think that will be? Is it something that will be much talked about going into that draft? Is it something that the draft coverage on ESPN and the NFL Network will stop and make a huge note of? Holy moly. Or is it just a number, man? I think it'll be a big deal on our beat. I think it'll be a big deal for Ohio State. I don't know how much ESPN or NFL Network will make a big deal about it. I'm sure they might mention it in passing. This is the 100th. And they are the first team, the first program to get to 100. I think those things will be notable. How much of a big deal they'll make about it, I don't know. But I think Ohio State will make a big deal about it. And I think they should make a big deal about it because you're looking for every thing that separates you in these recruiting wars. And when you can go into, you know, it's one thing if you can go in and say, you know, we develop NFL players. Well, a lot of programs do that. Like we develop NFL Pro Bowl players. Like a lot of programs do that. But if you could go in and say, we have the first program, one program has ever developed 100 NFL first round picks and it's us. I think that's a more tangible thing. The, when you can start to narrow down those those arguments that you want to make and have them be very tangible, I think that helps you when you walk into those um, living rooms and when you're at those uh, 
those fields in the summer and, and when kids are coming to see you. So I, I think it is a, it's something that Ohio State will probably pounce on and market itself behind, and I think they'd be smart to do that. I want Columbus to host the NFL draft timed to this. The NFL draft used to always be in New York. Since they decided to move it around, it was in Chicago for two years. I actually covered it in Chicago one of those years because I covered it the year that Ohio State had everybody drafted in the 2016 draft and Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott and Vaughn Bell and Darren Lee and all those guys. They then went to Philadelphia. They went to AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, outside Dallas. They did it there. They did it in Nashville. They did it in Cleveland, and Cleveland kind of got the shaft a little bit with the COVID stuff, and it wasn't yeah. nearly the the you know the thing that it should have been. They did it in Vegas. They did it in Kansas City, this most recent draft. The next draft is in Detroit. The draft after that is in Green Bay. So that's going to be centered around Lambeau Field. They did it in Arlington, centered around a stadium. They have not yet awarded the 2026 and 2027 NFL drafts. The two cities that have been bidding and not getting picked the last couple of years are Nashville again and D.C. So my guess is D.C. is going to get one of these new ones. The idea of having an NFL draft in a college city might sound weird, except it's Ohio. And Columbus has actually found Columbus had an NFL team in the 20s, and then they disbanded in 1922. Columbus is foundational to the to the beginnings of the NFL. Now, you just gave it to Cleveland. I get that. You, you could maybe do something at the Hall of Fame some year if you wanted to really have it in Canton itself. I could see you doing that. But I don't think this is completely crazy. And the idea of, hey, college football is the pipeline that fuels the NFL. Hey, you know, the NFL can be like, hey, college football, man, you everyone's coming after you. Should the players be employees? Whatever. Let's celebrate college football. Let's celebrate our feeder system. And to do that, we are holding the draft in one of the largest, most historic stadiums in the country at the home of a program that has fueled the NFL more than any other. And we will be in Columbus to celebrate the 100th Ohio State first round pick ever. It's probably going to be 26 or 27. I feel like I want to call somebody in Columbus and tell them to try to do this. There's a lot of stuff that comes up with Columbus bids on stuff. They get the women's final four, they're regional, you know, they're an early round site for the NCAA tournament. They do some stuff. This would be huge. I was just talking to somebody the other day about like, Hey, I think Columbus is like trying to build more hotels and stuff. So you can host stuff like this. It's quick giving everything to Indianapolis. Now, if it would rain, it would be kind of a pain. Nathan. Do you know anybody at the Chamber of Commerce at the Columbus Sports Commission? Can we make a call and plant the seed? Because I get it. The NFL doesn't want to go to college towns all the time. But if you're ever going to do it, do it now in this place for this reason. You know, I don't think it's crazy, but I think it's highly unlikely. And it's it's because of what you mentioned that, you know, I don't know that they're going to stoop down and go to a college town, which I think would be their mentality. And I, I think of the, the NFL draft is sort of the way – the Major League Baseball All-Star Game is. It gets passed around to the entire league to some extent, or at least everybody in the league that wants it, because it's a chance to showcase your franchise, showcase your city, showcase your stadium sometimes, all of those things. So I, I think as much as it might make sense to have it in Columbus, I think you would probably have a big portion of the NFL that would strongly object to having it in a college town, unfortunately. But should should Columbus fight for it? Maybe. 
Put it, put it on the radar. Have a meeting about it. People love having meetings. All right. So <laughs> as we're trying to get the NFL draft to come to Columbus, we have to try to figure out what year it should come. Because we do kind of want it to coincide with the 100th pick. So when will it be? What year will it be? And then we are going to say what player it will be. Who will win the shopping spree? We have to have some context here. They're at 90 right now. So I think, is it fair to say, Nathan, the real discussion is, will it be three drafts from now in 2026, or will it be four drafts from now in 2027? Is that the first thing you have to figure out? Is that a dividing line in your mind? Yes. And I actually think that it might be, that 2027 might be you could argue the 27 would be the earliest. It all depends on how much of a haul you think they're going to get a first round talent out of this next draft. Cause we know there's going to be a ton of players go to the draft in this next one. But as we already did on Buckeye talk, we had a podcast predicting the 2024 NFL draft and you and Steven and I were pretty varied in how many first round picks we think this next group would have. So that takes up, it could take up in my, in my estimation, it took up a big chunk and so 2027 was the year that I came up with, but I could also see someone saying, well, I really think they're only going to get like, you know, if you're only getting two or three per year, then maybe even 2027 or 28 is when it would happen. I'm glad you mentioned that because I am holding us to the picks we made on that previous podcast we did right after the NFL draft. You have to, yeah. On that podcast, you and Steven each predicted five first rounders in 2024. I predicted three. So that's kind of a difference. Mm-hmm. The thing that I and, and trying to think of a three year cycle, the thing when you look at Ohio State history, and this makes sense, is there are big years where they have a big number of first round picks. Both times that Ohio State had five first round picks in recent times in 2016 and in 2006, they had zero first round picks the year before. Mm-hmm. That really, it's like it just so happens that. A bunch of our talent was in a class or there was a guy or two who could have gone and stayed. And that, you know, there's a fourth year guy that could have been a third year guy and that you kind of build up to it. Unless you're Bama, you're not stacking five first rounders back to back years. So the question is, as we think about the math here, is can they get 10 first round picks in the next three years? In a three year cycle, can you have 10 first round picks? Because to have it happen in 26, the answer has to be yes. Otherwise, we're into 27, or maybe we're even into 28. In the last, like, 20 years, I looked at the three-year cycles. Okay, how many first-rounders? This they, They've hit it once. Have they had 10 first-round picks in a three-year cycle? And it's in 2018, and it's based off the five first-round picks in 2016, and then they had five more in 17 and 18 combined. Every other time, even the, the peak years have been surrounded by some, quote, down years, by mm-hmm. zero or one or two first rounders. So if we're asking Ohio State to get to 10 first round picks in the next three years, Nathan, we are asking them to do something that they've really only ever done once before. And it's it's a big ask. I just want to make sure that like the listeners understand, because you can be like, ah, oh, they got like three a year. It's like, ah, oh, they can get 10 in three years. It's like they won't. They, nope. Like, it's really difficult. How difficult do you think it is? Like, when you were trying to think about this, does 10 in three years seem like, well, doable, especially when you're starting with, you think, five in 2024, or does it seem pretty extraordinary? 
Um, it would still seem extraordinary, but that doesn't mean it isn't doable. And we have to remember, as just as we did with the recent conversation about Ohio State's national championship expectations, you have to emphasize the most recent part of their history because Ohio State recruits since the Urban Meyer era started. It's just a different machine now. And the way that they attract talent and 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 put that talent to the NFL is a little bit different. And the other thing I would I would remind you about is we also now have started to see two things that are linked. We have reasonable certainty that if you were the starting quarterback at Ohio State, you will be a first round pick. <laughs> it's happened three times in a row now. So it just depends on what year that could happen. But the other thing is we they are about to have I mean we we all I think picked both Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka to be first round picks. That was two of my five, two of Stevens five, two of your three, I believe. So that'll be five yes. or three years just from the receiver room. Like that's another position where they are just churning out legitimate first round NFL guys. I mean, rookie of the year and a guy who finished like third. You got a guy who he fell all the way to 20th, even after having the massive second year that he did because of injury. And then now two guys on deck who seem to be just ready to very naturally fall in the line there. So they're, they it, it's in the in the same way that wide receiver is at times lifting the recruiting ranking above what the impact is for the whole roster the receiver room right now is also lifting up the overall draft hall here at a time when they're having trouble uh, producing um, first or second day NFL talent at any defensive position they're just cranking the receivers into the NFL as fast as they can get them I do think I would tell the Columbus Chamber of Commerce to shoot for 26. As difficult as this is, I, I think I would – when you take the things into account that you just said, that you're, there's just going to be some receiver guys. If you think the cornerback thing is restarting a little bit, you throw in the quarterbacks and it's not a guarantee, but it's like, I don't know, do you think that at least one of McCord and Devin Brown might be that, right? Or even – as we're talking by the 2026 draft, I guess Aaron Noland would not be eligible yet, but like Lincoln Keenholz gets it going and as a one year, do you at least count on one quarterback in there? I do think as much as we're saying, hey man, 10 and three years, I've done it once. I think we're talking about 10 and three years because I feel like I have some names and then there's, and it happened. We're not going to redo the whole thing we did. If you guys think this is interesting, go back and find it. You'll find it late April. After the actual draft, we made the predictions for the 2024 draft. You guys went to five. We talked about, could they tie the record of six? I only went to three, but there's so many guys who are maybes, who have like Mm -hmm. a 30% chance. And then if you have five guys, you think have a 30% chance to go in the first round. It's like, well, I don't know. It's probably like one and a half guys. So I'm thinking about it of... If I have three and 24 and I have maybe three and 25, but I'll also give myself one of those two years, they'll get to four with a guy that I'm not banking on, but they'll just, somebody else will hit. So that's seven. And then I have three and 26. So it's seven over the next two years and three and 26 and I'm at 10. So my year is 2026. Is your year 2026 or is it 2027? So I did push all the way to 2027, even with having five guys picked in 2024. And maybe after being uh, that 
loose with it for that year. Maybe I got overly conservative for 2025. Um, I, I, and also I think for both of those years, I was honing in more on guys that I thought the, the, the super strong chances as opposed to um, maybe somebody from this group. Um, though I, I agree with you that, that that definitely exists. And I think at um, maybe edge rusher was the position where I thought it's the most likely that they will produce a first round pick again in 25 or 26 or, or both for all we know. But I just couldn't mark someone down for that. So I had two each in 25 and 26 and then 27, maybe very, very high in the 27 draft, the 100th guy coming off the board. Okay. I think that's interesting. And I'll be curious to see who your guy is because it could be a top five pick and he's the hundredth. Like that would be, he get a shopping spree and all the money from being a top five pick. Okay. We're going to do two things on the rest of this podcast. We're going to mark it down. Who will be the 100th first round pick in NFL history. And then at the end, we will compare the top 16 in the Texter's ultimate draft to what our top 16 was. We'll do all that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Nathan. So we're just throwing out names here now because it's fun to throw <laughs> out names in the future. And this is it's fun show. because people it does make people shout. I can't believe you said that guy. I can't believe you didn't say that guy. So we'll start with the idea of 2024. I had three, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Buka and JT Tui Molowau. Who are your five in 2024? So I had those three as well. And then I also had Mike Hall Jr. and Denzel Burke. And I do think there's a little bit of stuff here where if a guy stays, like I'm not ready to go, Mike Hall is a first-round pick in 2024. If he sticks around and is a four-year guy, and now he's in 2025, Jack Sawyer, I would apply that to as mm-hmm. well. I think I get much more intrigued potentially by a Zach Harrison path. And it's not that Zach Harrison became a first-rounder, but it's like, well, you could have gone – but you stayed, and then just what does that extra year do for you? So, again, Zach Harrison's not the perfect comparison. Chris Olave is a good comparison. Although Chris Olave, I think, would have been a first-rounder after year three, but he stays for year four, and he winds up a first-rounder. You're probably higher, though. So you're at five. Who are then you thinking about in 2025 as first-round picks when you're trying to do this? So I came up with two, and the ones I pinpointed were and this is this is one where I am uh, maybe hedging a little bit, but I just said an Ohio State quarterback. So either Kyle McCord back for a second year as the starter, or third year Devin Brown after two years as the starter is is the thing now, and he's going. But either one of those guys at that point being ready to go, I think it's now it's less likely. I actually think it's less likely if McCord is NFL draft worthy after this first year and goes and then Devin Brown only has one year to start, although McCord will only have one year as a starter, but that's where the math gets a little bit wonky. But that was, that was one that I put down that a quarterback in 2025. And then the other one I came to was Sonny Styles. And I went back and forth on this for a while because I've been a little bit wary of the times where just because somebody as a young player needs to be on the field for Ohio state doesn't necessarily mean he's on a elite NFL trajectory, but, and especially at safety, especially at safety. Do you know how many safeties have been taken in the first 30 picks of the of the last four NFL drafts? The last four drafts, the last four drafts, how many first taken in the first safety? 30 picks? Just in the first 30 picks. I'll tell you why I made okay. that distinction in a second. Three, one. Wow. Okay. So, and that was Kyle Hamilton in 2022. That's actually the year where there were three first round picks. There were no first round safeties taken last year or in 2020 or 21. 
But in 2022, Kyle Hamilton went number 14. And then Daxton Hill and Lewis Sign went 31-32. So technically first-round picks, practically second-round picks. So that's why I cut it off at 30. But when you make that comparison, here's what they said about Kyle Hamilton, who, by the way, was 6'4", 220 with 33-inch arms. Uh, these are from other scouting reports I found. Elite length. Plays with bend and movement skills of much smaller athlete. Versatility to play safety in any scheme or alignment. Like, you can start to see why Kyle Hamilton potentially could be a very strong comp for Sonny Styles, who, by the way, is 6'4", 215, and is often talked about as playing like a, a an athlete of a smaller size than what he is. And that's what will make him both attractive to Ohio State and potentially attractive to the NFL. So do I think he'll get go number 14 overall? That is a heavy lift for a safety. But do I think his physical skills can get him into the first round as quickly as after his third year? I think I do. I also have Sonny Styles, and I didn't break it down as well as you did. I think you make a great case there. And this is a dart throw. This is fun. We're making projections. It serves. But but I do think when we're when we're this far out, trying to look at traits and find rare traits in guys, it's not just about being a good player because neither of us has CJ Hicks and that's nothing against CJ Hicks, but it's the linebacker position. Yep. It's, I don't know. You think he's going to wind up looking like a lot of other guys and it's just a more difficult situation, but Sonny Styles, there aren't a lot of guys that look like that, that do that, that have those traits at that position. So I think that's a smart call. I will say I don't have quarterbacks in my mix here at all to get me to my 10th. And I'm not sure why. And I think it's because they haven't named a starter yet. But And I think it's because Kyle McCord played in the Akron game when he actually paid through for 300 yards, but it didn't look like he should steal the job from C.J. Stroud as a freshman. So like, and all all the things that are lingering in our discussion of the quarterback competition is lingering for me in the discussion of, well, the Ohio State starting quarterback be a first round pick, but then the evidence is, as you said, well, the last three were like, what are we, like, what, like, what are we doing? So, would you tell me that I am a lunatic? Like, what are you doing? Mark down at least one that sometime in the next three drafts, the Ohio State starting quarterback is going to be a first round pick. Put down one, you nincompoop, or is it reasonable that I didn't? Oh, it's reasonable because only one. Uh, again, I, I said that, I mean, technically both McCord and Brown, depending on how this plays out, could get their chance to be a first round pick by 2026. I just, I, that seems unlikely to me that it's probably one or the other, that McCord wins the job this year and is maybe he's so phenomenal that he goes after this year and, and props up that potential five picks for, for 2024. But is it more likely that he wins a job, has a great year, but sees the benefit of coming back and having an entire second year as a starter and all those reps and all that experience, I could see that too. And so then that pushes Devin Brown's chances of being a number one pick by 2026 down, certainly pushes down the chances that would happen at Ohio State too. That's the other thing you've got to factor in. There's a bunch of different percentages that kind of pop around as we try to to make this case. Um, But if you extend it out to 2027, then I think you start talking about other quarterbacks as well. Yeah. You do that, that I just, I just, I'm not there on the quarterbacks and I, and I, and I understand it. I, I know, I know what I'm doing and I, I just can't help myself. I just have whatever degree of slight hesitation, not Fair. about whether they'll be good, but about whether they'll be extraordinary. And I it's just fair. have it. 
But I also I also want to say the quarterback's the one position where you have to be the least extraordinary and still be a first round pick in some ways. Could you be like a system quarterback, like a you know, hey, you you threw for a bunch of yards to a bunch of great receivers that, and like you were good and we think you're good and we'll take you in the first round and then maybe you're not. It's a little bit like the Dwayne Haskins path, the late great Dwayne Haskins. Like yeah. you know, he didn't turn out to be an all pro, but coming out of college he looked pretty darn good. I mean, teams could reach it to in theory any position, but they might reach at quarterback more than any other position just because there's so much value and and there's so much desperation for quality play there. Yeah, I think it makes sense. This pod has not yet aired, so you will hear it later. I have Kenyatta Jackson in 2025. So that's a third-year edge guy going bonkers. And there's a little bit, like you made some really good cases about betting on a room. I started to bet again on defensive end, and I also started to bet again on corner, a belief mm-hmm. of Tim Walton getting this room back in line. So if I had three guys in 24, I have three and a half in 25, and I have Styles, Kenyatta Jackson. I have Jordan Hancock as a fourth-year corner. Let, let's say in this coming season in 2023, he has a really good year. He is a starter. He is a great player. But he doesn't go because he's basically hasn't gotten to play yet. And he's not on the Marshawn Lattimore two injury-influenced years, one great year, and gone. He sticks. He sticks for one more year. Let's say Burke goes. Hancock stays. He's the clear number one guy. And then he puts up two great years. And again, based on the way the coaches talked about him, what he did last August before he got hurt, how they were expecting him to start – that's where I'm kind of going with that. I'm not putting Hancock as a first rounder, though, after this one year. This would be four years in college, two years as a starter, a first round pick in 2025. And then I have Jack Sawyer as a maybe in there. And so it's like I'm trying, like, if Jack Sawyer stays, now Jack Sawyer is a fourth year guy. You know, he played a little as a freshman, had a goofy kind of last year trying to be the Jack. He gets two good years. True defensive end, true defensive end. Could he be a first-round pick in 25? That's kind of where I'm dancing with two bets on Hancock and Sawyer as fourth-year guys. And if you're telling me they're going pro after this coming 23 season, I'm not there. And that might be wrong because it might be like, well, no. If they're going pro and they're not here, that's cause they're going because they think they're first-rounders. But I just there, I think there might be an opportunity to be better players and also better draft prospects because – they really haven't in their first two seasons, I don't think, had a chance to show who they really are. So, and if I'm wrong and they they pop and go, then I then it's for my getting to my tenth guy, okay, well Hancock was a first round pick a year early, but that's kind of where I'm thinking that thought process with Hancock and Sawyer. What do you think of it? I it makes sense, and I considered those guys. Here's where I came down on the edge rushers, and I this might be the completely wrong way to think about it. Um, because I, I picked an edge rusher in JT Tumaloa out to go in the first round overall um, in this coming draft. But he fit this criteria that I kind of came down to, which is I was looking back on like day one or day two first round defensive end picks for Ohio State in recent times. And I think you have to go back to Taekwon Lewis, which would have been like what, 20, the 2018 draft? 2017, 2018 draft. Yes, somewhere in there, 2018. To find yeah. a to find a guy who went on the first two days as a defensive end out of Ohio State and didn't make a true freshman impact. 
he was a reg he took a red shirt as a freshman and then came back and had a great career after that but everybody else obviously the Boses, chase young even zach harrison and even jt to him maybe they weren't elite stars the way the Boses were sometimes or, or as true freshmen but they were still in the rotation making a real impact and that didn't happen for kenyatta jackson it barely i guess you could sort of argue that it kind of happened for Jack Sawyer. He did play as a true freshman, but it made me, that gave me pause as far as marking those guys down as future first round guys. I'm not saying it won't happen or can't happen, but as far as making the prediction, that's where I kind of, I, 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 I got held up. I think that's a good way to look at it. I mean, when we're dart throwing and we're, when we're looking way out in the future, I think you have to think about that. What is the evidence that you have so far? And so if you're leaning on evidence so far that is like, well, I don't know. They didn't do in year one what Nick Bosa or Joey Bosa or Chase Young did. I, I think that's reasonable. So it's just, you know, there there are a lot of guys. I Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Because it's fun to throw darts. But I think it's fun to talk about guys who could pop. And I think it's a good reminder, Nathan. I feel like a mama bird sitting on a bunch of eggs, right? And you don't know which ones are going to hatch, but I think a bunch. I think there's going to be multiple hatchlings here in the next couple years, and maybe especially on the defensive side of the ball, the last couple years that hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. But I think just with the coaches they brought in here, with Tim Walton and Perry Eliano. And, and Jim Knowles and the addition of James Laurinaitis, and we know Larry Johnson's here. I just I just think they might get back to a little more of that. So we might be wrong on the names, but I, I really do think we'll be right on the idea, and it will be reflected in things like this. And if you want to say, well, no, it's not that corner, it's this corner. Or, it's not that edge guy, it's this edge guy. And, oh, it's Caden Curry. And, no, okay, we were wrong on the name, but we were right on the idea. And I think that should be encouraging for Ohio State fans generally, Nathan, that we are looking at a world where it's like, okay, well, 10 in three years, that's very rare air, but we don't think it's impossible because we think the talent level and the development at Ohio state is sort of back to that, that standard. Yeah. And I think with Jack Sawyer uh, in particular, is he more on a Bosa chase young, even Taekwon Lewis path, or is he more on like, a Tyreek Smith path where you have great impact. It doesn't show up as in terms of what you are as an NFL draft prospect and Tyreek Smith had injuries and stuff, but when he played, there were long stretches where he was fantastic. And here's the thing in the right mix, that guy can still help you win a national championship. That guy can still be a huge part of a really good defense, regardless of what the NFL eventually thinks of them and where they eventually take him. So some of this conversation can get a little bit muddy there, but I, we had another podcast that we recently recorded where we're predicting the, um, the sack leader for 2023. And in that discussion, we were talking about JT to him and you start to, another reason why it's fun to do exercises like this is because you start to put guys, um, it helps you separate what guys are. And with JT to him I think all of us agreed as an edge rush threat, we would take Jack Sawyer. But as an overall football presence and probably as an overall NFL draft prospect, we would take JT to a Malowal. So it's it's how you kind of compartmentalize guys or how you how you start to define guys. And now we've got two years of 
of evidence of, of what those guys are going to be and what and how you can project them into that next level. All right. So through the 25 draft, are you at seven? You're five and two with your That's first correct. rounders? That's correct. Yes. And I guess I would say I'm at three and four. So it's it's a little bit of a soft four, but I'm with all the hatchlings, I'm I'm willing to go to seven instead of six, which brings us to the 2026 draft. And I have three. So I think they're going to get there in 2026. And I have Carnell Tate at receiver, Brandon Innes, who has done nothing here. <laughs> Wasn't here in the spring. Let's put that yep. on him. Brandon Innes at receiver. And I'll save my third guy, but let's have a Carnell Tate and Brandon Innes conversation because I do think we have some things lining up here. This third-year receiver class for Ohio State, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka, right? Also Jaden Ballard, part of that, but those two headliners. Everybody in the world is expecting that those two guys will leave for the NFL after their third seasons and be first-round picks. We've talked for a long time about the second-year receivers, Four-guy class, two of them transferred, and the idea that it feels like, hey, like they got to go a little bit because the other guys are coming. So I don't know what's going to happen with the remaining guys and the second-year receivers, but the first-year receivers, Bryce Rogers, Noah Rogers, Brandon Innes, and Carnell Tate, it feels like the expectations for them are more applicable to what we're talking about with the Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Buka class, what we're talking about with mm-hmm. the Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith, and Jigba class, what we're talking about with Garrett Wilson and that kind of thing. And obviously, Olave is a lower-ranked recruit. So it didn't take me much to predict two, three-year-and-out receivers, Nathan, among the current freshmen with Tate and Ennis because I looked at Harrison and Abuka and I thought, okay, that seems replicable to me. Abuka was the number 10 overall recruit, the number one receiver. Marv was the number 70, 97 overall player, the number 14 receiver. Brandon Innes was the number 35 overall player in his class, number five receiver. Carnell Tate was the number 59 overall player, the number nine receiver. So did you have Tate and Innes, both his first round picks? And you already kind of outlined how you think about the rooms. Is this reasonable receiver thinking? It's completely reasonable, and I could definitely see both of them going. I only counted one of them. I, I think one thing to remember is, I mean, technically only the Harrison Ibuka, which hasn't happened yet, that will be the first one of this run where a single class produces two first rounders for Ohio State. You can start to parse some things with what happened with Jamison Williams. Um, but because Olave came back for the extra year and that pushed him up along with Garrett Wilson. And the only reason it's about to happen this next year is is because that second rank, the higher, the lower of the two, the lower ranked of the two as a prospect, is a very, very, very special dude who, for reasons that are not just his football skill, has then taken that talent and maximized it in a way that few athletes do. So it made me hesitant to mark two guys from the same class going after the third year and both being first round picks. But I think it's totally on the table just because it's the, the room and the program and Heartline have proven that they, this is what they do. They just churn this out and it's now it's the standard. Now it's, it's, it's not something that you come in and um, you fancifully look at kind of like off in the distance. It's like, well, this is what you're supposed to do. Like you come in and you play 
one year where you don't play very much probably because the other guys are all Americans. And then it's your chance to play. And then you're awesome for two years. And then you're a first round NFL pick. Like that's just, that's the floor these guys are starting to work from now. And that's a, that's a lofty thing to try to live up to. But I imagine in that incubator that they have, it can also be a very inspiring and invigorating thing on a day-to-day basis to come in and push you to be that. So uh, I, I only put down one, but I could be very wrong about that. And if I, I, let me say this, is it more likely that I'm wrong about that than I'm right about having five first rounders in this coming draft? Yes. I think it's probably more likely that I'm wrong about that. They have fewer than five, but have a higher number in 26. So one of the things is that Carnell Tate came in this spring and looked like a dog. I was like, okay, yeah. well, like he's the lower ranked of the guy in this conversation. He showed up and looked ready to go. So if he's a little bit more in the Marvin role of like, okay, a little lower ranked, not much, but oh, okay, this guy gets it from the jump. That applied to me. And then if Ennis is a little more a book of like, okay, I mean, like he was highly ranked and he's done everything right the whole time. The expectation, again, as Steven has covered, Brendan Ennis was here and he was learning stuff on the, you know, he's not going to be that far behind when he shows up. And figuring that the three starting receivers this season with Marva Mecca and Julian Fleming won't be back next year. There's a lot of opportunity. So I do think the idea, I think Carnell Tate and Brandon Ennis both could will start as second year players, which means good, healthy year two, just like Marvin and Mecca did last year as 2000 yard receivers. Then in year three, next step pop first round stuff. I see it. So, Let me give you my guy then, Nathan, because that's to nine. And I have another guy who then would be, I think, the third draft pick in this class. So not as high as the other two, but then the result is you win the shopping spree. And I think I'm marking it down. It's not a market down Monday, but it's a market down ultimate draft. People got tired of the homework, so we came up with a different thing. Davison Igbignosen will be the 100th draft pick in Ohio State history. That would be four years in college for him. He's here now. It would be three full years at Ohio State after his transfer. And again, this is Tim Walton development, cornerback room getting back in to the Ohio State expectation, and traits, 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 traits. Long, looks the part, like looks like an NFL corner. And so you take the traits, you take how much he played in year one, You take that he decided to come to Ohio State. You take that Tim Walton is an NFL guy. and It it, it feels like Tim Walton has that room back in line. So that's where I went. Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis, Davison, Igbignosen as the three guys in 2026. And Igbignosen wins the shopping spree. Who were your 26 guys? And is Igbignosen the guy who's on your radar at all? Um, Sort of. I, I actually also went cornerback for my second first rounder in 26. But it wasn't him. I I also kind of put my faith in what's going on in the cornerback room, but I attached it also to the recruiting that's going on in the cornerback room and the fact that they're starting to you know get highly ranked guys and if you can keep them and develop them and and turn them into something. So 2026 will be the third year for both Jermaine Matthews and Calvin Simpson Hunt, and just kind of on the fly trying to pick which one I think would maybe be the guy. Um, Matthews is maybe more somebody who I think of as the more physical of the two. And maybe Calvin Simpson Hunt would be the one who could run a special number, 
could could flash some of those playmaking things. So I went with Calvin Simpson Hunt as my pick, but it's more it's really more of a pick of what you're talking about, which is at some point in these next few years, they're going to break this drought and get a uh, beyond just Sonny Styles and get a cornerback uh, because the whole secondary has been lacking as far as NFL talent, but get a cornerback back in the first round of this draft. I mean, it, it was for so long, it was a staple of Ohio State of, of the program. It was one of the identities of the program there for a while in the great years under Urban Meyer. And I think that I would maybe argue that to be a great program in this state of, of, of college football, you got to once in a while put a cornerback in the first round of the NFL draft. I mean, uh, the other great programs, I, I'd have to go back and look, but just anecdotally, you feel like Alabama does that. You feel like some of these other great programs do that. Ohio State needs to get there too. A reminder on the numbers. So I am officially at three, four, three first rounders over the next three years. This is Ohio State the last eight years, starting with the most recent draft number of first rounders. Three, two, one, three, two, two, three, five. So five is a peak. As a reminder, the six drafts previous to 2016, when they had five first rounders, they had three first rounders total in six years. Zero, two, zero, zero, one, zero. So that's the end of the Trestle era recruiting, basically, mm-hmm. of like, okay, it's like, you know, they had good players. They were a good team. They were not at that talent level. They just weren't. So I don't think, Nathan, that there's any reason to expect Ohio State to get back to a world where they have three first-round picks in six years. But it's a reminder that there's not a birthright to this. And it has been interesting to watch this. One of the other things, I don't think it's really that much of a worry Ohio State, USC used to lead in overall first-round picks, and Ohio State stormed past them in the past eight years. And Alabama is now storming to catch up. Right now, Ohio State has 90, USC has 85, Alabama has 79, Notre Dame 70, Miami 67. Alabama is 11 behind Ohio State. The idea that Alabama could have 21 first rounders before Ohio State has 10 first rounders that Alabama could beat Ohio State to 100 is far-fetched to me but if Ohio State for whatever reason hits a little bit of a lull and Bama keeps going 454545 it's not impossible but it feels like right now the heavy heavy favorite would be Ohio State gets to 100 first round picks before anybody else right well, four five four five still is only eighteen. Like that tells you a little bit how hard this would be for them to do. Because um, so I would still put my money on Ohio State, but I think that Alabama's going to keep closing that gap because there's nobody that that does this better right now. Yeah, it's Nick Saban. So Alabama has been three, two, six, four, three the last five years. So and you know they had an Alabama throw a two in there if you're going to catch Ohio State. Right. And, but Alabama is also the program that I think if you were to bet on who could have this the crazy year, even though, like, again, Steve and I are predicting five for Ohio State. But just if you were asking people across college football, who would you pick to maybe have another six or a seven? Just one of those crazy spike years that helps them with that number. I ever Most people would probably pick Alabama just because even if even if it isn't reflected in the season that they end up having. And like Georgia is three and five the past two years, but like Georgia's not in this conversation right now. And maybe right. in 20 years, Georgia will be ahead because they'll storm past somebody. Cause like you own the decade, you could do that kind of thing. So 
I'm at 343. You're at 522, which means you're into 2027, which means who do you think will be the 100th first round pick in Ohio State history? So again, the Ohio State history right now is that if you're the starting quarterback, you're a first round pick. I mean, that's the, that's the role that they are on right now. So assuming he ends up being at Ohio State, which we don't have any reason to believe yet that he won't be, I'll take Aaron Noland early in the 2027 draft to be Ohio State's 100th all-time first-round pick. I thought you were going to go with Jeremiah Smith, who was going to be the number one receiver recruit in that recruiting class for Ohio State. They both would be third-year mm-hmm. guys coming out. They should make it part of the pitch. Like, Aaron Nolan's in, but everybody's like, oh, there's still people like, is he going to flip to Oregon? And Jeremiah Smith likes tweeting about Georgia or whatever. But this should remind him, hey, you guys can fight it out. Nathan Baird said it. You can fight it out to be the 100th pick, first-round pick in Ohio State history. And again, Nathan, it, it might get down to, you know, sort of what a CJ Jackson Smith and Jigba thing was this last year, or even like the, the combination of the two. Like, what if you had a Air Nolan to CJ and Jeremiah Smith is Marvin, mm-hmm. and now they're both top five kind of guys? And now who's it going to be? Oh, you know, one guy might go three and one guy might go seven or whatever. But that expectation, and I don't know, I can't, we, we know just enough about Kyle McCord for me to have just a slight hesitation. We know nothing about Aaron Nolan. He's in high school. Yep. So it's like, okay, why don't, why wouldn't he be? All right. Aaron Nolan, the fourth pick in the 2077 draft. Cool. I'm there. So, but I think that idea, I do think it's fun to put down names. My name is Davis Sidney Your name is Aaron Nolan. Are we in an area now where really like we should expect three a year? Is that fine? Like we just said, Three two one, three two two, three five. The last eight years is three the new benchmark for Ohio State first round picks in a season. Um, I mean, it, it's different to me than like when you start talking about expectations as far as wins and things like that because this is out of your control somewhat. It's 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 up to the the fickle uh, needs and desires of these NFL guys on on a given year, the the personnel guys. But I think it's it's reasonable to assume that they'll be in that ballpark, and especially because. Again, it feels like you're starting every year with one because of the receiver room or some combination of the receiver room and the quarterback room. Like you feel like Ohio State, well, one of those guys will be in the a first round pick. Like they'll have one and a half. You almost start at like one and a half every year because of quarterback and receiver. And then it's just a matter of is it time for the for the defense to like have its spike again and some of these third year guys get in and start a little bit of a trend there. It is notable to me though. There are some positions we did not mention in the next four NFL drafts and offensive tackle not being mentioned at all in the next four NFL drafts is as a first round pick is not a great sign for Ohio state still like that is still a, just a big bugaboo out there that's sitting there and has to be addressed long-term. And Luke Montgomery, go, go do it. Go be a first round pick in three years. But I thought that's, you know, like that's, that's out there. And again, that's nothing new. You know, we didn't pick linebackers are just tough. Running backs are just tough. Right. That's less a reflection on the talent in those rooms and more reflection on the realities of the NFL right now. Interior but, offensive, yeah, line, offensive tough. tackle, interior yeah. offensive line. Like we, we had a debate on that old, you know, that podcast from late April about like Donovan Jackson. He might be the, He's viewed probably he was the he was the top guard recruit in the country when he came in, and he might be viewed that way right now. But do guards go in the first round? So we just like didn't quite get there on him. So 
That's our prediction for the future. When we come back, we'll do a little bit on the homework of the past. How did the texture draft match up or not with our draft next on Buckeye Talk? So, Nathan, as people listen to our version of the ultimate draft, Orlando Pace was our number one pick. We all three agreed on that. From the 4-4-0, Orlando Pace was the most dominant player in college football history, not just a tackle, but any position changed my mind. I don't know that I'm going to try to change anybody's mind on that. I was looking at some things that, you know, people do stories over time. The greatest number one picks in NFL history, Peyton Manning's in there, John Elway's in there, like those kind of guys. I think Orlando Pace is borderline top 10 when you look at it. I think maybe I, I saw a list where it was a couple years old and he was 10. And I actually thought he maybe should have been higher. So I think if you did a 32-player draft of all the picks ever in NFL history, all the first-rounders ever, what were the 32 best picks? I think Orlando Pace gets picked. And I think he might get picked in the top 15. And so I do think with the texters, it's it's a ranking system, Nathan. And so we can tell not just who the texters ranked, but how vociferously they ranked him. Orlando Pace had a 1.59 from the Texters. Hmm. The player they ranked as the number two overall pick had a 4.36. Yeah. Yeah. So it is almost unanimous, I think, across anybody associated with Ohio State that Orlando Pace is the greatest NFL draft prospect of all time. And I think we knew that going in, but I think we really confirmed it. Again, like I said, that day, the day that we did that draft, like this – He's the one guy on that list that has the most compelling case to be the best of all time at his thing. And and it happens to be a position that when there are really elite guys, the NFL would take them number one. Um, it's not like he's the greatest safety of all time. That guy probably doesn't get drafted first in the modern NFL, no matter how good he is. Or a linebacker. Like if, but at, at those few handful of, of really money positions – that's a guy that you would sell out to get and maybe even trade up to take him number one. You would sell out part of your franchise future because you'd find such value in him. So I, to me, it's it's an, an easy, easy, easy number one pick. Chase Young was number two for the Texters as well as us. And I thought you made the right pick at number two when you did that in terms of draft prospect. I'm not surprised that the Texters did it, but it's a little bit of a nod to me because Chase has not had the greatest NFL career, but that's not what we're doing. And I think the Texters also got this right. They went Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa. Those three guys in our draft went Chase Young, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa. And that's only because I had the fourth pick and I picked Joey over Nick primarily because of Nick's injury questions coming out as a prospect. The Texters had Chase Young at 4.36, Nick Bosa at 5.09, Joey Bosa at 5.42. Those were the top four guys on my list. In our draft, Steven took Justin Fields third. But I think generally speaking, Pace and the three recent edge guys, that's where the Texters went. That's where I was. I think that's where you were. Yeah. I feel like there's it's not unanimous, but I think there might be some consensus around this. And there were people mentioning recency bias. Somebody said, I did the first one, but I saw the results and there was recency bias. I'm not doing it again. Of course, there's recency bias more so with the textures than with us. But I don't think young Bosa Bosa 
it's not all recency bias. There might be some baked in there, but it's not only that. I think it's legit when you think about what the NFL wants right now. Oh, I, no, I don't think it's recency bias at all. Again, like it, edge rusher is that one of those other positions. Be a quarterback, protect the quarterback, kill the quarterback. Those are the three things that people want the most at the top of an NFL draft in general. And few people have killed quarterbacks the way the Bosa brothers and Chase Young did um, as they were coming out of Ohio State. And a couple of them have gone on and kept doing that in the NFL, where it's even tougher to get to quarterbacks. Uh, so I, yeah, they, I had them in that. I had them. My four is the is the Texters four. I had Pace, Young, yeah. Nick, Joey. The Texters then went for quarterbacks on the next two picks. One at five, one at six. Who do you think the Texters had as their top draft prospect quarterback, Nathan? I think they went Stroud because Stroud was drafted higher than Fields was. Fewer, fewer, Fields was passed over by fewer teams. No, Stroud was passed over by fewer teams to be taken than Fields was. CJ Stroud, fifth for the Texters at 7.47. Justin Fields, sixth at 8.20, then a big gap to number seven. So they are bunched behind the top four, clearly ahead of number seven. We've had that discussion. How do you decide that? I don't know how you decide that. So they go Stroud, five. We went Stroud, 11. They go Field, six. We went Fields, three, because Stephen picked Justin Fields at number three. I do. I'll take a, I feel pretty good about this one. I'll, I'll take a, a tip of the cap a little bit on this. Number seven for the Texters is Sean Springs, who was their first cornerback off the board as a draft prospect. I took Sean Springs at 10 for us in our draft. He goes seven here. In our draft, the cornerback order was Denzel Ward, Sean Springs, Jeff Okuda, Marshawn Lattimore. For the Texters, it's Sean Springs, Jeff Okuda, Denzel Ward, Marshawn Lattimore. So... Uh, this is and this is not recency bias, but I do think these are this is the people who really watch Sean Springs, making sure they get him up there, and also enough of a reputational thing lingering. Because I will say, the texters voted before they heard us, so mm-hmm. what we picked did not influence them. Yeah, and they could have ranked Denzel Ward or Marshawn Lattimore or Jeff Okuda ahead of Sean Springs, and they didn't. I this this is I think a tribute to how good Sean Springs is. Yeah, that, that reinforces it for me, and because I had Okuda higher on my list, but I would defer to you anyway as somebody who saw them both. But it's I think this is where if you if you're an Ohio State fan and you were able to see them both, that that says something to me that you're taking Springs, especially considering the prospect that Okuda was. I mean, he was just he went number three overall, would have gone number two overall if Chase Brown or Chase Young didn't exist. Possibly, I mean, he was that awesome of a draft prospect so um that tells me a lot about how great sean springs really was i knew of him obviously and was aware of him i was in like high school when he was playing so uh, but i didn't have the same grasp of of what he meant as far as being a prospect number eight for the textures was the guy you took number eight dan wilkinson big daddy number eight for both so then i took those top eight from the textures and i resent them another thing i took out the top eight I gave him the 12 guys that were left over from the top 20, added in eight more, and that produced and, – and I didn't just do the next guys in our draft because I didn't send the texters Chris Ward, who we took 23rd. I didn't take, send them Bob Vogel, who we took 25th. I didn't take them, send them Jim Houston, who we took 27th. There's just no point to that. It's already too much homework. So I did include some more recent, more famous guys who we took a little lower. The result, Nathan – the Texters took Eddie George as a draft prospect ahead of Ezekiel Elliott. And I'm not 
completely dumbfounded by that, but I am surprised. And so Eddie George, I wound up taking 31st in our draft in the second round of rankings. Now, this just goes to show how close this next group is. There wasn't somebody that stood out, but Eddie George had a ranking of 7.15. Ezekiel Elliott had a ranking of 7.32. So that makes Eddie George pick number nine for the Texters. Ezekiel Elliott pick number 10. I think people, as I would have said, they're going to pick Zeke. But Eddie was dominant, man. And I think this is a reminder. And Zeke went higher in his actual draft. Zeke went fourth. Eddie George went 14th. I think this is a real nod to the dominance that Ohio State fans felt from Eddie George in his Heisman year and that that it did translate to the NFL. And, you know, the Heisman means something. I mean, it it, it doesn't actually really mean anything as far as what you are as as a prospect, maybe especially if you're not a quarterback in some ways. But it it means something in people's memory. And I think if you're if you're trying to make a decision between those two, maybe that factors in that you were the best player in college football that year by the consensus and, and the other guy wasn't. Um, but I would have had Elliott higher. Um, he might have been the only running back that I actually had on my list at the end of the day. He was. I did not have George in my top 32 for this, partially because I'm just trying to, again, be in the NFL mindset because um, I thought Elliott was clearly a, a number which should be a, a lower first round pick. But are there going to be two in the modern NFL? I, I don't know. So that was the other thing that held me back from drafting either of them that high. So the rest of the top 16 for the Texers, Eddie George, nine, Ezekiel Elliott, 10, Paris Johnson, 11. He went 21st for us. We'll double back on that. Garrett Rolson, 12, Jeff Okuda, 13, AJ Hawk, 14. We took AJ Hawk at 24, Denzel Ward, 15. Steven took Denzel Ward at six. And then Chris Olave at 16. We took Chris Olave at 29. So there's some recency bias here. That's fine. I was trying to make a case for David Boston as the best receiver prospect in Ohio State history. David Boston was behind both Wilson and Olave, was just not viewed in the same way by the Texters. Again, I'm not, I'm not shocked by that. But Paris Johnson, Nathan, just happened. He was the number six overall pick. We didn't take him till 21. The Texters take him at 11. Did we take Paris Johnson too low? Well, um, so you, again, you left off a couple of guys who would have been in that mix, right? That that, that could have been potentially as, as tackles. Well, I, I left off. I mean, they still had Jim Parker in there, but I mean, we took Vogel. We took Chris Ward and Vogel after Paris Johnson. So there weren't a ton of guys ahead of Paris Johnson. That, right. You know, Hicks? I don't you know. Hicks they took Paris list? Johnson over Paul Ward. I did have Hicks on that list. We okay. took Hicks seven. The Texters just, John Hicks, I think, is too old for the Texters. I, but I think there's, I mean, there is probably some recency bias. There's also the recency bias of um, maybe people staring in the face what the absence of Paris Johnson is going to potentially mean. And I'm not trying to knock the guys who are, who are trying to take his place, but you just lost a first round talent, you know, number six overall talent. And now Ohio state doesn't really know whether it has an NFL tackle of any kind on its roster for sure right now and how soon that guy will emerge and how high that guy will be. So I think that is also maybe creeping into some percentage of this vote. But we may also look back at some point and say, you know, Paris Johnson only had the one year at tackle and he did not reach some of the heights. I mean, it's, it's so weird to think about Paris Johnson 
Like if coming in, if you had, if we had said to you, well, Paris Johnson is only going to start one year at left tackle and he's not going to play in a Big Ten championship game, people would have been like, what? What are you talking about? Like that's not, and he's he's not going to beat Michigan as a starter at any position. You'd be like, what? Yeah. What are you? That's insane. But that's him and and everybody else that came through here the last couple of years. Like that's a big part of their legacies, and I think we might look back on it and and judge them without if you set that aside and judge them just for the player they were maybe they rise up a list like this well but we were talking about all the talent in the coop era so yeah that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying yeah uh okay people did not like vernon golston people were not in a hurry to vote for vernon golston clearly i think affected by the fact that he did not turn out to be a good he did not turn out to be an nfl player basically at all so he was way down the list and I, in the end, um, we're we're pretty close on a lot of things. Jack Tatum wound up about like the 19th pick for the Texters. I took him 16th. We did get a comment on Jack Tatum. It felt impossible to rank Tatum in particular. No mm-hmm. idea how he was thought of at the time. I'm guessing just very well, given where he did go. We now know he's a GOAT, and it's hard for me to use positional value for the same reasons. Yes, yeah, safeties go lower, but what about this guy? My guess is that he's the most likely candidate to, to be overvalued in this exercise. And again, I think to me, he's a safety back then with corner skills. And so I think I think the this this texture, while wrapping themselves in a in a in a circle of saran wrap trying to figure this out about Jack Tatum, that's part of the exercise because it's impossible to do. But I think the texters think in the exact right way. Like, well, I don't really know what he was as a prospect. He was awesome as it turned out, but what was his value be right now in the modern NFL? So I, I think he is difficult. And I think the texture makes a good point. I struggled with where to put him also. And I actually think that someone like him, if you're in the modern NFL would be the guy most likely for NFL teams to overthink a reason not to take him early because he doesn't fit a specific where are you going to start him and how much do you value him as a starter at that nickel whatever and then he'll just go to like six pro bowls and, and look like a and look like a great value pick later as a, as a second or third round pick yeah i i know what you're saying they still do as you just gave us the stats on safeties getting drafted right so that is very compelling ed reed was the number 24 pick in 2002 and then went on to a Hall of Fame career. And Ed Reed was viewed a certain way coming out of school. I, I think maybe Ed Reed was, is the best modern day comparison for yeah, somebody but, like Jack Tata, but also that's year 20 was that? years ago. Yeah. Ed, Ed, Reed has a, Ed Reed has a, has a gray beard. Yeah. So Ed Reed is 44 years old. So yeah, this is the last point I wanted to make that, that again, not a ton of people checked in with opinions on this because it was so daunting. This is from the 440. Doug, you gave very explicit instructions. We should base our evaluation on them as draft prospects, not on how their NFL careers panned out and not just their college careers. So how do you not have Arch Schleister on this list? When he left Ohio State, he was clearly the best pro prospect quarterback we ever had to that point. Taken number four in the NFL draft shows he was thought of as an excellent pro prospect. Of course, what happened to Art is a trajectory story. But as a 10-year-old kid at the shoe against Penn State that fall September day in 1978, the electricity was unbelievable. We didn't know if returning starting quarterback Rod Gerald would start or if Woody would go with Art. And when they both ran on the field, everyone was stunned until Gerald split out wide as Art started at quarterback. Art should be on this list. So this is somebody who lived it, 
who was there when Arch Schleister made his debut, who understands the unbelievable role that Arch Schleister plays in the evolution of Ohio State as a football program, as we did talk about on that, coming out in that draft, maybe there were other teams that thought Jim McMahon was a better quarterback prospect than Schleister. Schleister went four, McMahon went five. Felt like a little bit of a lax quarterback class that year. So I think it's defensible that we didn't take Arch Schleister in our top 32, but I also think it might be wrong. I think maybe he really should be there. We're not complete knuckleheads for not doing it. But I think this person makes a a, a smart point about, A, what Art was in that moment and for Buckeye fans. And then, B, because the stinking number four pick at the most important position. So what are we doing? So I I think that's a a good note, Nathan. I had Schleister in my top 32. I had him 25th on my list. And when I originally made it, he was even higher. And I had kept kind of pushing him down for, for various reasons. Uh, so, but we had enough variance in our list that I didn't even get down to, to my number 25, Dwayne Haskins. I took Dwayne Haskins at number 32 and he was 21st on my list. So, so I definitely see the case for it. And especially when it's, uh, as we talked about earlier on this, the modern NFL will find a way to, to reach for the, the last great quarterback that's on the board. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the, so if he, if he was a first round talent in any year, he's probably going to have still a first round grade in the modern NFL. Almost. Um, that's maybe the one position that where there's some of that, where some of the variances has been, hasn't been um, introduced the way it has some other positions. You're not going to see a linebacker go in the top five picks anymore, but uh, number four pick at quarterback. Um, when you, when you translate that value to the current game, even though his, I don't know how well his passing stats would translate to the current game. But you also, if we're going to play this exercise, then you have to think, well, what would Ryan Day have done with Arch Schleister's underlying skills? And would, would they have looked more like the typical Ohio State first-round quarterback? Yeah. So that we're done with that. You guys can stop racking your brain thinking about that stuff. I, I do think this stuff is interesting. I don't think it's interesting to do like 365 days a year because it's impossible. And then you wind up like talking down great players. It's like, well, I don't know. This guy's no this guy. And it's like, well, he wouldn't be able to do it today. Context is good. So I just had never seen anybody do this before. As I said, you can go back. Hey, the, there's been 56 NFL drafts. Let's rank the number one picks, one through 56. People do that. I had not seen people do the 90 Ohio State first round picks. So we tried to do that. We didn't get everything right. I hope we were in range on stuff. And now we can move on with our collective lives. You guys can be reading clipper.com slash OSU. We hope you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss a Buckeye talk. College Football Survivor Show, taking a little bit of a break for a couple weeks, but one a week over there, and one of the exercises we did, I took the Retalkables idea from Buckeye Talk and took it to the College Football Survivor Show, and Shahan Jeharaja, my co-host, and I, we watched the Georgia-Oklahoma 2017 college football playoff semifinal because it was year one Lincoln Riley versus year two Kirby Smart, and we wanted to examine that. And then we did a podcast where we we said a defensive coach like Kirby Smart, an offensive coach like Lincoln Riley, who's more likely to sort of own the next decade of college football? And we drafted Team Kirby and Team Lincoln. We each drafted seven coaches on that side of the ball, current head coaches. Who are the seven defensive head coaches that Shahan took for Team Kirby? Who were the seven offensive coaches that I took for Team Lincoln Riley? And then which team would you take? 
by the way, I did draft Ryan Day. So and maybe it should be Team Ryan Day. But Lincoln's in L.A., and this was an interesting game that long ago that we saw the early versions of them, even though we just saw sort of the version of Kirby Smart versus Lincoln Riley. There is a lot of Ryan Day talk on that podcast as we talk about modern college football coaches and like what do you want their resumes to be? And there's some things about Ryan Day that I think specifically apply to both those coaches as comparisons. So you guys can go find that. For now, as always, we appreciate you guys making Buckeye Talk part of your Ohio State fandom. For Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.